All right, everybody, welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. Very pumped up for today's episode. But before we get into that, as always, I'd like to thank the listeners, all of you guys. You guys are the best. You guys are smart. You're wise. You're very attractive. So fucking sexy. Uh, big shout out to the YouTube subscribers. You guys have been, um, you know, helping uh, me make a little bit of extra money. So keep telling people to watch and, and view it. And the Patreon subscribers as well. You guys are amazing. Thanks for all the support. Uh, latest podcast with Todd Massey is up on the Patreon. A little bonus for you there and some more fun stuff coming your way. Now, today's guest, everybody, is returning to the podcast maybe the fourth or fifth time uh, a regular, uh, one of the best stamp comedians in the country. This dude is a regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And uh, just a very unique comedic voice, a fun hang. And that's big. That's big for me. Are you a fun <laughs> hang? Are you a guy we can have a good time hanging out with? And that for sure is your guest today. The one and only Adam Burke, everybody. How you doing, Adam? What's up, mate? Thanks so much for having me. Good to see you too. Me and you both have that thing where we just look too red on camera these days. Well, it's hilarious because I was just noticing that because I don't know if, they, if people can see this, but we've got this sort of green border around our videos on my screen. And then we both got red hair and white faces. So we just look like the Irish flag. Like, yeah, we, <laughs> we do, man. Um, and you, this is the longest beard I've seen you with in a while, buddy. Are you yeah. thinking about trimming it soon? Or are you just saying, fuck it, let's go with it? I don't know. I kind of like it longer. Do you know what I, it's, it's, um, it's middle-aged vanity because I, I think I'm lying to myself and I'm kidding myself that it lengthens and thins my face. You know uh, I mean? see. I see. You know what I, I do? What do you do? Just well, I just thin? grow it for like a week, <laughs> and then when people go, "Oh, you got a beard," I go, "Oh, I do," and then I shave immediately. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I don't like having beards. They itch my kids. They itch my wife. I've just never gotten past that stage where it's not prickly and crappy. I've gotten it to where it's fairly full, but yeah. then also here's the vanity coming in. It's I'm getting a lot of white hairs in the chin, right? And it's aging me, so that's why I'm trying to keep it as tight as possible. Well, your clean shavenness—that's so—that's very old school of you. You're—I've always said you're kind of an old school kind of guy. I think. I think you're—you know—you've you've always had like sort of a '50s working class guy vibe to me. You know, um, I was talking about that with someone today about how I, I get that a lot, and and I, I respect a lot of old school stuff, but I think I'm very, very new school progressive in a lot of ways and i'm caught between those two worlds constantly and you know what i mean like there are times yeah. in my in my i don't know if you have this too but there are times in my brain where i i think about people who work nine to fives and i think man that must be nice because or not even a nine to five whatever eight hour 40 hour a week job where yeah when you get home from work you are no longer thinking about <laughs> your job right right but as comedians it's always 24 7 Right. It's such a, a label and a part of our identity that we don't get to turn it off. And Adam, I would like to turn it off sometimes. I'm fucking <laughs> tired. Dude. And I think, um, I'm not saying you necessarily, but I think the people around us, our loved ones, would also enjoy if we occasionally turned it the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely like, they would tell us that's an understatement. Um, <laughs> but so, but then there's part of me that's like, ugh. God, I would hate to wake up to an alarm clock every day. I'm so thankful to be having the job mm -hmm. I have now. I get to go on stage and say whatever I want. So I definitely feel sometimes caught between those two worlds. I want to be able to have the freedom I have, but I also want to just be able to, like I said, turn off my brain and not feel like I'm spinning a thousand plates all the time. 
I think I think it's, I don't know if you have this, but I, I I think one thing that appeals to me about comedy is that is that the transaction is very clear. It's like I go up on stage and I talk for twenty minutes, and then I get off stage, and then someone goes, "Here's your money for the thing that you just did." Hopefully, you get it straight away. But like I don't I don't know how many office jobs you've worked, but it's like you're you're like twelve steps removed from the thing you know what i mean i've worked so many jobs where we're like we're creating spreadsheets to give to a sales report that has to give it to this guy who's going to turn that into and it's like you know what I mean? it's not like we're making iron bars it's like so fucking abstract that like my thing was that office jobs i was always like i always want to say to my boss but like what but what if we just didn't do that like how long how long would it take someone to notice that we didn't do the thing because you know what I'm saying? Because it's so like, it, you know what I mean? It's just so vague and you're so like, just like you're a tiny cog in a massive machine. And sometimes you're like, I think this machine is bullshit. I think this machine doesn't do anything that's worthwhile. You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. And that's another reason I just kind of, I think I knew at a young age and that's part of why I wasn't a very good student. Um, well, come high school, I wasn't, I, I was a terrible high school student, grade school. I was pretty good, but I, I came to this conclusion where every job that people hyped up while I was in high school, I'm like, I don't want any of those jobs. So I don't <laughs> give a shit about the, like, Oh, I didn't do well. I, I don't want any job where they're going to be like, you got a D in chemistry. Like, I don't give a fuck about that <laughs> right. line of work. So I think right. I made up my mind that I was just not going to care uh, maybe that was kind of a stupid way of doing things because it definitely <laughs> closes doors to you. If I could do it all over again, I would have been like, oh, maybe I should. Like if I knew I was going to be a comedian, you ever think about that? Like if you knew, because you didn't get into stand up until later in life. Right. Uh, right. So I, was I actually want to ask you some questions about that. I've realized, Adam, and I've done this with a, a lot of my comedian friends. I've had them on and we just have the conversation, which is great because that's kind of like the whole yeah. uh, vibe of the show. It's like, it's like, you know, like you're hanging out with your friends at the pub. But I'd like to actually interview you a little bit because I feel like a lot of the listeners who have maybe heard you on past episodes don't know your full story. So we'll get to that in a second. Okay. But I just always felt to myself like if I knew I was going to be a comedian, what would I have done differently in school? Because I didn't know I wanted to be a comedian until two weeks before trying. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, I could do that. Where I, I remember looking at the Chicago Reader for open mics and then going, you know, yeah. um, I would have gone. So like gra I would have studied like graphic design or web development or like some video editing and stuff like all the things that I do a very minimal, decent enough job at that I've self-taught myself over the years out of necessity. I would have actually dove headfirst into those things that way. Dude, how many actually, times have we been asked as comedians, hey, could you send me a high res photo? The photo you sent me wasn't high res. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're asking. What are you saying? Well it's good yeah, enough for exactly. Facebook. It's good enough for your flyer. <laughs> and I think that's fascinating, though, especially watching someone like you, because, you know, I, I've told you this before in person, but, like, it's really amazing. You've been such um, such a great student and such a great advocate of comedians learning all of, all of this stuff. And so many comedians, like, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 45 now, and, like, earlier this year, year I learned how to video edit. You know what I mean? I, and, like, do all this stuff. And we've had to develop all these skills, and I think it's good. But I remember starting to, I remember starting stand up and there were comics who were like good at graphic design 
and good at promotion right. and good at video editing. And the only thing they weren't good at was stand-up comedy. <laughs> and it's sort of like, I don't know, I like I don't know that prepping, having all those tools in your, you know, in your arsenal necessarily helps you. You know, like, I think it's awesome that you develop them now, but it's like um, I don't want to name names, but like we knew we knew guys who had like the nicest fucking, you know, business cards. And we knew one, you remember we I don't know if you remember, but there's one guy, I won't name his name, but he had like he had a van that he would drive to open mics that was wrapped, that had like a full graphic wrap of like his like blank the comedian. <laughs> and it was like, and he wasn't good at comedy. And it's sort of like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I totally get what you're saying. Where it's like, it's good to show up with all that. But like, at the end of the day, <laughs> none of that matters once you get on stage, right? No, dude, you're right. And it's almost like those people, and I'm thinking that there's quite a few examples of those people where it's like they read a book, stand-up comedy for dummies. And the part in the book that's like, here's what you need to be good. They like, ah, let's skip that part. Oh, self-promotion. Let's dive deep into this chapter. Right. And let's, oh, I got to make posters and have business cards and have my website up and, and get your name out there. What better way to get my name out there than driving a van with my face on it? Like, that's where they got excited when reading that book, where everyone <laughs> else like, oh, you just go on stage a shitload. And then, you know, you kind of figure it out as you go. Your yeah. brain creates a filter in which you recognize what's funny and what's not. You pick up cues from other comedians when they're like, you don't say that shit on stage. Like, you know, you, yeah. you figure it out. Um, so I, like a great example is someone like Sarah, Sarah Squirm, I think, who is able, who I think is able to do both. Like she's such a weird stand-up. She's great. But she's, she's coming to stand-up because her, she would make these weird videos first. You know what I mean? And she would, she had this thing called Hell Trap Nightmare and she would make these. And I, well, I would see her do stand-up, but I always thought she was pretty good. And then I didn't know she had this whole other, like string to her bow where she could make these crazy videos and i think that's a different thing where it's like oh you're always going to be funny wherever whatever tools you use however you you know however whatever however you make it you're always going to be good but other people are just like other people are like really slick at certain aspects and it's like okay i mean you've written a great bio for yourself have you written any jokes <laughs> you know yeah I mean? yeah in, in some regard i do respect people who have mastered um, self-promotion or building a big following if they're good. Like if right, you're good right. and you figured that out, then I think that, you know, I've got a lot of respect for people who cultivate their own audience um, where there's some comics who are great and they just kind of are like, I'm just going to wait around until someone sees me and says, Hey, do you want to be part of my show? Or like, you know, I, I kind of, I understand both. Um, but to, to the point about like a Sarah squirm, who's so funny yeah. And we'll always be, there are certain people, Sarah, Nick Vatterot, Ian right. Abelson, Uh, There are some people who are just entertainers and right. it doesn't right. really matter what medium they're using. They're going to be funny. Right. I just feel like they're like, oh, um, you want me to use props? I've never used props before, but okay. And then you, you throw them a bowling pin and before you know it, they're doing all <laughs> right. sorts of crazy things and they're juggling and they're making, you know, there's right. just people who are, I remember talking about this with Nick Vatter at once where, and I, I don't even know if this part of it's true, but I remember saying, well, it is true. What I said was true. Was <laughs> I, I fucking phrase it like an idiot. Um, what I said to him was this everyone. And then I'll tell you what I meant. I told him, I go, dude, I could become a better stand up comedian than you. 
which that part, I don't know if that's true. Cause I don't think I'm a better <laughs> comedian than he is, but I could be like, I could be, you know, on any given night, you could put me and him on the same stage. And there could be people who are like, no, I thought Kilgallen was the better right. standout, but I would never, ever be a funnier person than Nick Vatter. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, I, and when I said that to him, he, he got what I meant. He's like, Oh no, I totally know what you mean. And you know, he thanked me for the compliment and all that. Cause he's like a really great dude and a great to talk to about comedy and all sorts of philosoph philosophical things. But I remember just being like, there's, there's that difference. And I, I think, and I hope people, regular people who are not in the comedy industry realize that like some people like Chris Farley was just a fucking comedy behemoth. Right. He was an absolute force of nature in every sense of that phrase. But do I want to hear a 60 minute album of Chris yeah. Farley trying to do stand up? Hell no. Yeah. Um, it's so funny I'm to watch like, him you know, on. It's so funny to watch Farley on. I, I love, um, you know, I'll fall down these YouTube rabbit holes. It's so funny to watch Farley on Conan and on talk shows. And it's like, you know, he, he was surrounded by these comedy writers, you know, people like Adam McKay and to a certain extent, people like Adam Sandler, like people who were like, oh, you're it. You're like you walking on stage or what we all want to be. You're funnier walking on stage. And you could see when he would do talk show performances, they would give him a bit. They would be like, Chris, you know, go on stage, do a cartwheel, talk about these three things. And then th that would all kill. And then Dave Letterman and someone would go, so, so Chris, what are your plans for summer? And then it would be like, <laughs> he would just be like, the terror would come in because he'd just be like, well, I don't know. And him fumbling around would be funnier than other people with written jokes about what they're going to do in the summer. You know what I mean? Like, it's so funny. As you said, like, he, he was a guy that people love to write for, but you could tell was that that's not really how his brain worked. Yeah. Yeah, no, you you said that perfectly. But I could see that though too. If I was writing on a show and I had a Chris Farley to be my canvas, like how excited <laughs> about that. And because even when you do that, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I was also thinking. I was gonna say. I think you're 100 right about Vaderat. Nick Vaderat is the kind of guy where you could pick him up and you could drop him anywhere in the 20th century, and he would work as a comedian. Yes. He would he would be a funny silent comedian. He would be a funny vaudeville comedian. He'd be a funny guest on the Jack Benny show. You know what I mean? He's the kind of guy where like he's just gonna figure it out. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he writes for the Bill Maher show is such a testament to how he's like because that's almost like you know doesn't seem like the most natural fit in the world for him, but he's the kind of guy is like. Oh, I'm going to be Nick Vatterall on the Bill Maher show and figure that out. You know what I mean? Like, he, yeah, he's just one of those guys. I totally know what you mean. And for everyone who's listening who do, who does not know who Nick Vatterall is, do yourself a favor, turn off this podcast, hit pause, and Google or YouTube, I should say. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Nick Vatterall Conan and Nick Vatterall Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Because he has, I think, the two best sets on that show that I've seen and yeah, I'm a yeah. little biased towards Nick, but he took something, which is the late night stand-up comedy set, which to me has really become a boring thing to watch these right. days, even from people I like and, and, and I'm fans of, I'm just like, I don't want to see a watered down late night version of what you normally do really well, you know, and, right. and have everyone think it sucks because you couldn't do your joke because you made fun of a sponsor and then they made you <laughs> reword it. And cause that's really yeah. what it is. I don't know if people listening understand that so much of late night I've, I've had people go, Hey, I saw your one friend that used to do shows all the time on, you know, some show on like, I don't know, uh, 
Seth Meyers or something. I right. go, oh, cool. You saw it? And they're like, yeah. That's <laughs> I'm just like, I, you know, and then I just tell them why it's not, you know, don't even, I even tell people, I go, don't watch late night stand up anymore. Yeah. I, I just think, I don't know. I mean, there are some people whose style fit it, but most comedians, they're watering themselves down in a way. But anyway, yeah. he did two sets, two of the best late night spots because he kind of went up there with like a plan and he treated it like, I'm just going to be ridiculous. And it mm -hmm. worked. It worked so damn well, especially yeah, for, a, you know, you're watching that at 1130 at night, but that thing is taped at 330 in the afternoon for a bunch of tourists who are, don't know what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it can be a very weird experience for them as well as it is for you. You're nervous. You're thinking this is your first time on, you know, late night television. Right. It's uh, I've been backstage for a couple of my friends. I've never, I haven't done late night, but I've been backstage for a couple of good friends and just being back there. I remember thinking like, this is not that appealing. I think at this yeah. point I'd want it just to be like, Hey dad, I'm on late night. Like, but that's yeah. it. And, yeah. And when you're doing that, doing it for that reason, I don't think it's a very good reason. But you, you mentioned mean, being crafty. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if you had anything to add to that. But uh, Oh, I was just going to say, you mean you don't want to go up and do like half your opener, like a third of your best joke, and like the first line of your closer? Yeah, basically, because <laughs> you get four minutes and 45 right. seconds or a little over five or something like that. And it's just, I don't, it's so not fun to watch. Right. It's it's fun as a it's fun to watch as a comedian, and when you know the set, when you know that we you know the person's act, and you can see how it's being crammed into this little you know gift box of a set, and you can just see, like you can just see them kind of like where they've made the edits, you know. Yeah, exactly. I I just. I don't know. I don't even think they should have them anymore. Whatever. I, I'm all for comedians getting money and getting exposure. I should shut up about this. But Adam, <laughs> you alluded to earlier about how we've all had to get crafty over this past year mm -hmm. with, you know, the pandemic and all this other shit and not being able to have that outlet of stamp comedy every night. And you did a really cool thing um, where you did a thing called it's five o'clock somewhere in which you combine drinking and which you taught people how to make a really cool cocktail. And you talked about the news, which I thought was a really fun combination of you as a person, a guy who likes to challenge himself to be a, a comedic writer. So you're writing daily and a guy who, you know, enjoys some good uh, libations, <laughs> some good spirits, a yeah. uh, nice yeah. little mixed drink. And I thought that was great, man. I was a really big fan of what you did that, but I, I now I'm realizing I wanted to get a little background for you. Adam, tell everyone where you're from and how you got into stand up. I know this is such a generic cheesy ass question, well, no, but no. I think your story is cooler than a lot of people's in which you were, <laughs> you know, going all over the world, living all over the world, essentially. And then all of a sudden you were like, basically you started, you wrote an article about stand up, and then you yeah. were like, well, these people are terrible. So I'm going to get into it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe that's what you thought. No, no, no. What it was. So I was, I was raised in Ireland and England. And then I moved to, I lived in Texas for a while. I was married in Texas for a while. And then, um, uh, that sounds that like a work. great country song. I was married <laughs> in Texas. Yeah. And then open brackets for a while. Close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was married in Texas. And, and I was always one of those guys where I loved stand up so much. I was I had a huge, huge comedy fan, but people would talk to me about, you know, and I was kind of one of those people, you know, who, who did like making jokes, but people will go, you know, people say, have you ever thought about doing stand-up? And I would, I would literally go, I'd rather jump out of an airplane. Like I just, I just didn't have the kind of personality 
that lends itself to it. And I like I, I I'm pretty sensitive too. So I just like I I never thought I would do it. And then um I moved to Chicago. I'd been living in Chicago about um for about two years. I was doing jobs, doing very various writing jobs. I was actually writing kids' books, which was weird. But a friend of mine got me a job writing articles for you you know a magazine called Chicago Social. Yeah, I I've heard of it. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a downtown magazine, right? Yeah, it's 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 posh, but like they would take they were good at taking pictures they were just you know it was just um people looking for stuff to do it was like rich people looking for stuff to do so we wrote um i pitched an article about i, I was talking to a stand-up friend of mine and he was talking about how um how chicago was a, was a sketch city was an improv city and he was a guy who'd done the mics and he was like he was like it's just really hard because this was in 2006 and he was like it's so hard to get on stage in chicago um because the at the time there was zanies um i don't think the lake show was even open like 2006 what would have been open and then there was the uh, improv out in Schaumburg. it was pretty much zanies the improv out in Schaumburg was just opening i think they opened at the beginning of 2006 and then there's a couple south suburban comedy clubs like riddles and uh well jokes and notes in the south side was there and then there was like a club called barrel laughs Right, right. Totally. There, there wasn't yeah. much. And then as far as independent showcases goes, it was 20% of what it is now, maybe yeah, less 10%. Yeah. yeah. But there was like three big ones. There was the Lincoln Lodge, um, uh, Chicago Comedy Underground, and um, one that I'm blanking on, but I, I'm going to kick myself later. But anyway, um, what is the third one that I missed? Anyway. The Elevated? So, that ended before we started, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there was only two big ones. but it, there yeah, might there was have been just two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what he, so he said that he goes, you know, you got to get on these independent shows. He was like, most stand up happens in bars. So you either an open mic or an independent showcase. And I was like, Oh, that's, that sounds like a cool, that's an in for a story. Right. Because that's people in Chicago probably don't know that. So then I just like followed him around for two weeks. And I went to a bunch of open mics. I saw you when you were like three months, six months in, and I thought you'd been doing it for like years because <laughs> I oh, thought, really? cause, yeah, because I was at Mike's and stuff and I hadn't like, I didn't really know anything, but I, I met like a bunch of people. I met like Mike Palisak that first week. And I think I, met, I remember Mike, it was at Cork Lounge, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I met like a bunch of people and it was like really cool. So that was like, I'd never been to an open mic before and it just kind of blew my mind. It was just like, it just felt really, um, it, it felt really sort of, wild west and sort of because it felt like both showbiz and very i know i know this is sort of a dirty word nowadays but it felt both showbiz and artisanal because it was just it was literally like let's put on a show in the back room boys i like the cork lounge is like the weird like the cork lounge is weird because you had to walk past people playing pool yeah and it's what's funny what what's great is to walk by some guys you know playing pool at 10 o'clock at night and you're going to do stand-up comedy at an open mic, and the guys playing pool think you're wasting your time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why don't you pick up a real, a real hobby? You know what I mean? Before, like, you know, calling off the uh, two cushions. But yeah, well, that's so, the weird thing about doing comedy in bars. So many times, especially when the bar is a separate room, you prefer a bar with a separate room because right. you don't want again the pool players distracting everyone. Mm -hmm. But it could be disheartening. You walk through a crowded bar of people having a good time. 
you go into a room <laughs> where people aren't having a good time yeah and you're supposed yeah. to make them have a good time and yeah. then if it's bad you then have to go walk back through everyone having fun <laughs> to go outside and contemplate your own existence. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that back door, any bar where there was a back room where open mic comedy was happening, that back door would swing open. And I'm sure everyone else was, everyone in the fun part of the bar was like, why are they holding an AA meeting in a bar? Like it just said that sometimes that silence and that gloom would escape out of it, you know what I mean? And it was just- I know exactly. <laughs> I remember one time, I can't remember what bar it was, but I swear the back door swung open and I looked and there was a rat and the rat was like, <laughs> I think the rat kind of did one of these. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm, yeah. You, you don't need me. You don't need me ruining it. This is, this is sad. I'm, I got better things over here. I, I remember gonna... just being like that rat had the right idea. I would have, I wanted to leave too. <laughs> that would be, that would be the worst. And then like, um, Cause you know, I, maybe I romanticized open mics over the years. Cause I think we like are anyway, anyway, I, I'm sort of skipping over part of the story, but basically I wrote the article and then I sort of thought, I anticipated that an editor might go, well, you went all to these, to these open mics. Did you go up at any of them? So I kind of just in case that was going to be part of the request it ended up not being, but I went and I did, um, I think I think what I always call my first one, because um, I might have drunkenly done it once before. My first was the Pressure Billiards, that open mic. Do you remember that open mic? Yeah, that was my first open mic too. Where you basically had to, it felt like driving to Wisconsin. When, you, when you're new to Chicago, going to 6,000 North Clark feels like you've driven to Wisconsin. When, <laughs> when That is such a weird-ass Chicago thing, I feel like, because... <laughs> I mean, I grew up in the city. My dad worked in the South. I just, I knew the whole city. I like mm -hmm. when I was a kid after my parents divorced in the summer, he would take us to work with him. So I was going from Irving Park and Milwaukee Avenue. This is pretty inside Chicago for the national and worldwide listeners. <laughs> and I'd go from like, you know, six corners, the real six corners, Milwaukee, Irving and Cicero, get on the Kennedy Expressway. I didn't, we, no one called it by the numbers. If you grew up in Chicago, take that through downtown, get, you know, onto the Dan Ryan, get off at 35th street where the Sox played. And, and, you know, he worked at the parks over there. So I just knew of the city as this big, awesome thing. And then I would meet people. And I remember being at, I don't know where we might've been at like a cork lounge, which is Addison 3600 North. And then someone's saying, Oh, there's a, a new mic over here, but it's at Montrose. It's it's way west. Though. I, remember being like, I remember going like, how far west? And they're like, California. And I go, that's like, a, that's like 12 blocks west of right. where we are right now. Right. We're at Damon. That's 20. And then that's not even. That's a mile. It's 28. Yeah. I remember just being like, where are you guys? Aren't you guys all from small towns? Why are you making <laughs> Chicago a small town? Because so many comedians, they move to Chicago. Yeah. When I tell, I remember when I was telling my friends when I was starting stand up, I go, guys, 90% of this like Chicago comedy scene, the people who are actively signing up for open mics and, and trying to make something of themselves as comedians aren't from here. They're just right. not. And they're, they're right. like, really? They all, they move here for that? And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's Chicago's a comedy town. And they're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. But when I was in LA, I never heard any people who'd been living in LA for a year going, oh my God. We got to go to the valley. What? Right, right. You know what I mean? Right. That just didn't, because I think everyone out there just understood you live where you got to live. It's a big city, but I know what you mean. I, I didn't mean to give you shit. You just reminded me of how no, 6200 no, no. North, which is, it was in Rogers Park by Loyola. 
uh, University, everybody, which, you know, national listeners know what Loyola University is, I'm sure. <laughs> and, it, well, yeah, Rogers Parks, that was way further north than I had ever been in that part of the city. I get it. But I totally agree with you where um, I don't know if it's, yeah, because I think you're right. I don't think it's as true of L.A. and it's probably not as, as true of New York. But like when people come to Chicago and they live here about 18 months and I was guilty of this, too, they delineate Chicago the the borders of Chicago match up perfectly with their experience. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. I was like, yeah, I, I I've been in South Chicago. Where you know Madison, Madison State, Southside Chicago. Like like they have no, they have no idea. And like they great do- example too. I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, we'll get no. back on track. A great example of this, and I, I I swear I probably mentioned this on the podcast. So sorry, long time listeners. Sarah Perry recently did this. Sarah Perry's been on the podcast a bunch. Hilarious comedian, good friend of both yeah. of ours. About a month ago, she had a Facebook post asking, hey, what's like the best hot dog in Chicago? My sister's coming up in a month. My sister's driving up, she even said, in a month for our birthday. They're twins. And I want to take her to like to have like a great hot dog or whatever. She's a big hot dog fan or something. And then, you know, people are giving her some na- suggestions. I gave her three that were fairly spread out across mm-hmm. the north side. And then she'd been like, ugh, so far. And then another <laughs> one she said so far. And I go, hey, Sarah, do us a favor. Facebook has an edit button. I need you to edit <laughs> this post. And I want you to say, hey, everybody, I need hot dog recommendations that are within walking distance of my apartment. Because that's what you really mean. Like, Because that was, honestly, people were giving her stuff. All, and nothing was close enough for her. Everything was like, ugh. And then someone commented, she doesn't have a car. And I go, no, but her sister's driving up. She does have a car. And I mentioned like Wolfie's, which it literally is. I showed like, I'm like, it's a seven minute drive. I know where your apartment is. It's seven <laughs> minutes. You can't get in a car for seven fucking minutes. Like, come on. It was just there's stuff like that that cracks me up. And you're right. But but New Yorkers don't have that. I had We no. have friends that moved to New York who were, I remember one friend was like, oh, it's a 45 minute train ride. We're in Brooklyn. We got to go cut through Manhattan. And they're in Harlem. Or they're in this part of Queens. And we'll go this way. I think they just accept it. Where I think Chicago, maybe because it was the first big city they moved to. The idea of having to go anywhere inconvenient, even a little bit, was just like, no, not doing it. Yeah, know? yeah, and it's all, yeah, it, it is a weird thing. I, yeah, because you can't, like, you don't, like, no one's, no one bothers saying, doing it in L.A. because no one is from L.A., right? Yeah. So we just don't, it, if someone was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Los Angelian, we'd be like, wouldn't he believe, whatever anyone does say, I always have that double take where it's like, no, but where are you from? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, and then but people Yorkers, wanted people want to be Chicagoans. I knew people who lived in LA do. for twelve yeah. years and were like, "I'm not an Angelino," but yeah. I know people who live in Chicago for fucking two years and they're like, "I'm a yeah. Chicagoan. I am. Yeah. No, I am." You know, my brother said that. My brother said I I met so many Chicagoans and none of them are from here because for some reason they don't want to be from Akron. Like it's okay yeah. to be from Chicago, but they don't want to be from like you know what I mean from Columbus for some reason. It's like. Listen, everyone looks down at both these places equally, so it doesn't matter. Like no one. It doesn't. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track, though. So you write the article. I read uh, the article. Was your editor pleased? Yeah, I mean it ran. That's always <laughs> that, All that that's matters, always right? the first Yeah, um, and I think uh, I think Robert Buscemi was like um, the big. He he got I think the largest photo. I saw um, him in a commercial recently, but I could see yeah. Robert Buscemi getting a commercial, not related to Steve Buscemi, everybody, but this dude was famous for a very, I don't know, eccentric fashion sense, you know, I would wear like the big hat and 
always seem to be like a little dapper jean jackets. I remember wearing and stuff like that. I think he was, I think he was kind of like, I think if you were going to pick poster boys for Chicago comedy, you'll probably pick him and Kyle Kinane. Cause I think Kyle Kinane kind of had like the gruff kind of, you know, every man thing. And Robert Buscemi really embodied that sort of alt weirdo. It, just in 2006, there was a real kind of like, you know, um, you, you you could be pretty weird. Uh, I was just talking to Bridenstine about this, but Chicago comedy in 2006, you could kind of be, you would kind of go further if you were a little weirder, I felt. Didn't, didn't you feel like sometimes? Yeah, like, it was way more alty then. They're definitely mm-hmm. at that time that comedians of comedy documentary, I think was making the rounds. And a lot of people yeah. are like, you know, people aren't doing fuck stand up comedy clubs. That's too corporate. And we're going to do it. Our very punk rock element that I liked a lot. And I, and I loved a lot of the alt performers at the time, even though a lot of it didn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was stuff I wouldn't, I mean, it made sense, but it was stuff I would never do, but right. still liked it. I think I liked the stuff that was like, that I would never do. It was more interesting to me to watch than things yeah. that I'm like, Oh, I, see how your brain works you know um and then i don't know where the shift went i don't know if people started playing it safer or if that was just such a little fad slash niche thing because even the people who were big in that scene at the time i mean we're talking about people who are movie stars now yeah totally kumail's a fucking he's gonna be in a marvel movie like you know and then and kanane is a huge voice and he was the voice of comedy central when you would watch the shows he'd be like coming up next on comedy Central." it was that was kyle kanane and all these other TJ Miller was a huge yeah. part of that. And it was super, he was like the most accessible alt, you know, he had like yes. a weird, yes. he would do weird stuff, right. but regular dudes who work construction would also find him hilarious. Right. Right. Where right. they would definitely be like, why are these people talking about Dungeons and Dragons so much? If like another comic <laughs> was on stage, because that, because some of it was the style was still very comedy club, but the subject yeah. matter to me was what made it alt. Because they were talking about stuff where I'm like, all right, like your formula of a joke of material is no different than a lot of comedians you'd find, you know, at the national level, um, right. you know, from like the comedy store to the comedy store. But you're you're diving into some really obscure references and some really yeah. like, you know, yeah. like Jared Logan's a guy who's super hilarious. I remember him doing a lot of like really it was like a nerd culture thing that I think spun into what the nerdist became. Um, Absolutely. So LA had their version of it, like that alt yeah. scene. But I know so many of those comics were really big fans of, like what Eric Andre was doing. Eric Andre would visit Chicago a lot. They were all friends with Matt Brogner and you know Pete Holmes, who and all those guys. But like when I think of like Brogner Han- and Pete Holmes, I don't think alt. No, but like Hannibal. Hannibal, yeah, Hannibal's a great example. Yeah, another movie very, star. Yeah, but very strange his standup. I think a lot of people would be surprised how odd his standup was. Um, it was he he had that though too where he was so unique um in in like the, i'm trying to see, how am i going to put this i remember doing a show with uh hannibal i was he was cool enough to ask me to open for him at the barrymore theater in madison wisconsin nice. and he crushed and it might have been one of the first times he ever did an encore i i warmed up the crowd doing like 15 to 20 and i had a, i was walking on air it was so much fun you know madison yeah. that entire city's just a great comedy yeah. town and i got off stage and he's like great job you know he's got his buddy tony doing D- doing a little dj thing and then he brought hannibal up and hannibal destroyed he gets off stage i'm standing right to the side right behind the curtain and i'm like dude 
and they were so loud. And I remember saying, like, you got to go back out there. And he's like, do I? Like, really? Like, you know, he was even a little <laughs> dumbfounded by this. And he went out there and did another five, 10 minutes of material, killed. Then after the show, the crowds dispersed and he knew a few people. So he wanted to mm -hmm. talk to them. And there was a couple other people hanging around just to talk to him. The people hanging around, I was overhearing them. They were sounding like Hannibal. They started yeah. to talk like Hannibal. Yeah. This one yeah. guy, like, I think Tony was putting away his gear and he had stickers on his laptop. You know, DJs all have stickers on their laptop. And the one dude was like, just using Hannibal's voice, being like, what's with the stickers on the laptop? And doing like a thing like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it was a black gentleman. Otherwise, the, the accent might have been a little bit like, oh, I don't know if you right. can talk like that, buddy. You know? <laughs> so, it, it, but it was just, it was one of those weird things to me where I'm like, man, he's now at a level where people in the crowd listen to him for an hour and now they're right. going to act like him for the next right. few days probably like like when you see a movie and you want to keep the lines in your head it's yeah. that's what he was to them at that moment i'm like damn that's that's something where and he had that hedberg influence but then yeah. he kind of just turned it into his own thing and he'll admit that too oh, yeah. i'm not saying anything that's not kind of well known no, no, if you no, heard his early no. stuff but you're right he would dive into some weirder stuff too um all right yeah so that was chicago comedy then you grew up in Ireland, Northern yeah. Ireland too. Mm -hmm. So I feel like with shows like Dairy Girls and some other <laughs> stuff going on, I've caught more and more people, or maybe I'm just coming across it. More and more people are curious to what Northern Ireland was like back then. Um, and you have this great piece of stand-up where you talk about how people go, oh, you grew up in Northern Ireland. Well, was it like chasing leprechauns and big green fields and like <laughs> all that, you know, Americanized uh, bullshit of what it's like to be an Irish person, you know, like Lucky Charms commercials. And it wasn't like that. Now, was it, Adam? <laughs> well, the thing, the thing is, and the thing I've always found funny about it is like, I don't know if you can get, I was talking, I was always trying to make it into a bit, but like, I don't know if you can get delayed PTSD. Because like I, I I grew up there from like um, you know eleven months old to uh, ten years of age, and like my memories of that was was like idyllic because I didn't know anything. It was just lots of hanging out with my brothers, lots of walking across the fields, and then like you know just lots of it was like really sort of outdoorsy, um, you know Catholic upbringing, small town. Um, all that kind of stuff. Although I will say this, like I'm not an outdoors, you know, I wasn't really an outdoorsy kid. I was a really sensitive kid and I was always really worried. And then when I, when I we moved to London, then all the other kids would start making fun of me and be like, oh, you're going to put a bomb under our car? It's like, where's your balaclava? Where's your AK-47? I honestly didn't know what the fuck they were talking about until because it wasn't until I moved to London did I realize what the political situation was where I was growing up? Partially because I was a kid and partially because my parents, like I knew kids, because then you ever have that thing where like you put it together, like like kids who realize later that their parents were divorced or you, or like that someone in the family was gay or something, you go like, yeah. you have that sort of matrix moment where you're like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, you have that sixth sense moment. I think I had a lot of that where it's like suddenly everything makes sense where it's like, um, you know, we really wouldn't like, whenever you would pick up a piece of garbage off the ground, the way kids do, like parents would freak out. And I would always, I was like, oh, they must be germaphobes. They must be really afraid of garbage. And it wasn't until I was 15, it was like, there were car bombs. There were like IEDs in bags along the street and all that kind of shit, you know what I mean? And like, I had a kid who I didn't realize he 
USAID was sort of radicalized into the IRA. Like we were walking along. I remember, I very distinctly remember walking along with the kid and I was like, I was like, he was like, hey, what do you, what do you want to do? Um, what would you want to do when you grow up? And I, you know, I had a kid answer. I was like, I was like, I don't know. I think I'd like to be like, you know, you know, like a movie star astronaut, you know, and, uh, or whatever dumb answer, you know, I'd like to be a scientist. I like to make robots. What about you? And he'd be like, well, when I'm old enough, I'm going to the camp and I'm going to learn how to blow up the Brits. <laughs> and, it was like, and we were both nine, but he, but he knew what was going on and I had no fucking clue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he was just like this, he was this hardened. There's a lot of kids in, um, in Ireland who are old men. Like you'll meet, you'll meet a lot of eight year olds who are 75. Well, I mean, that comes from the parents clearly just coming like dad coming home from a shift down at the yeah. IRA, you know, he yeah. clocked in and clock out as his, as his job as an IRA gunman. And he was just like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you, you fucking Seamus. And he <laughs> yeah, exactly. goes off. his kids, his little bartender, his mom's making boiling something. He doesn't want to hear about it. And totally. then he's just like, yeah, all right. If I meet a guy named Nigel, I headbutt him. All right, cool, dad. You know? um, yeah. By the way, that, that, yeah, that's good advice. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> no, in general, but, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff like as that as a kid you don't get, like those oh, oh moments. Like my dad again, yeah. I mentioned earlier, worked on the, for the park district on the south side. I remember there was a bunch of kids. By kids, I mean they're probably like late teens, early maybe high school seniors in high school, 18, 17 year olds, and they would wear they were wearing Kansas City Royals hats. And I'm sure I've told this before, everyone, so forgive me. But I remember thinking, I'm like. We're, White Sox Park is like five blocks from here. Yeah. Why are, are they Royals fans? And but my dad was blunt enough where he talked to me as an eight year old, like, "Hey, they're in a gang called the Royals." <laughs> you know, like rolling his eyes, like, "How stupid am I for not knowing that?" Like, come on, like, okay, it then made sense now. And so then, right. as you get older, you kind of start to figure stuff out a little bit, and that's how you're like, "Oh, oh, okay, that's <laughs> that's what they're doing with the cars there. They're making sure." Yeah, <laughs> they're wiggling their keys before they put in the ignition, just as eh, you know. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, that's crazy though, too. Yeah, for people listening, man, um, so many Americans are very ignorant about so much of the stuff going over there, and the Irish have been used. To, I and I hate the way the Irish are used in America, in the sense that racist, bigot people will use the Irish to be like the Irish had hardships. They got over it and all that kind of shit. Or you never see the Irish doing this. I remember one time there was like, oh, um, Irish people are protesting the Notre Dame logo and they're protesting the Lucky Charms and they're protesting Irish Spring Soap. And then it was like, just kidding. The Irish aren't a bunch of pussies. And I'm like, <laughs> are that not, not pussies, but the Irish aren't a bunch of whiners. I'm like, the Irish aren't a bunch of whiners. <laughs> You're not Irish. Okay. Because I, I grew up listening to a lot of fucking whining yeah. as every Irish person yeah. did. It may have been fouled with um, yelling, but it's still whining. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the idea that Irish people aren't sensitive is pretty fucking crazy. That's um, funny. I know. I never thought about that. That is funny. That is a complete like. That's yeah. That's a complete like. You've ne you've never met any of your aunts. Then, <laughs> like your your Irish aunts will remember a slight you did twenty five years ago. And they'll hold it against you. Of yes. course they might. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Irish people are ball busters. And I think that's where people just got the thing from. And I think, I don't know. I've just, I, I'm sure you've seen this before too. So much of, you know, 
Irish people in America were, yeah, of course they were oppressed. Every, every new immigrant group has been oppressed in America and they had their decade of being treated like shit and all that. And, and of course it was bad when it happened to every group as they came in a little bit of hazing. I'm not saying I want it to stop. Hey, yeah. we got a haze. I'm a big fan. Of <laughs> I'm just fucking around. But like, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is. The Italians got treated like shit for a stretch. The, the, there was a big wave of Eastern European and Polish immigrants when I was a little kid. And I remember like my grade school, so many kids were right off the boat from Poland and people gave them a hard time. And then by seventh grade, everyone was friends. You just, you, you fuck with each other. And, but I, the way I see like so many, not Irish Americans, but your typical American that's doesn't like change at all. They're Irish, always using the Irish. Irish like Irish What's adjacent. Like Irish adjacent. adjacent. Yeah. I don't even consider them Irish. Some of them, you're just like, what's your connection to Ireland? Why are you calling yourself Irish? What are you fighting for? Or whatever. You know, I, I say I'm American unless I'm with a bunch of Americans. Cause I know what the question is when they say, what's your background? They want me to say I'm right. this, you know, right. but if I'm, if I meet Irish people from Ireland, I go, Oh, I'm American, you know, just cause I don't want to confuse them. And then, you know, it's fun. Then when you talk to them a little bit, they, they go, Oh, but you must have some connection. And they go, Oh yeah. You know, this person's from here and I'm, you know, my mom's side, you know, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. And then they go, ah, you're fucking Irish, you know, and then it's fine. <laughs> But if I, yeah, you know, yeah. meet them, so many Americans meet people from Ireland and they're like, I'm 25% Irish and my right. great, great grandfather was from there and all that. And I get people liking the culture. It's a fun culture and all that. But it does bother me when you see stories of there's so many Irish American politicians. There's some great ones, but there's also ones that are very conservative that are like, we got to put up a wall and they're anti-immigrant. And I'm like, what the fuck do you think you right. grandfather went through? Where did that go? And then you just realize they're following the money, you know? And the Irish don't really have a leg to stand on in that argument because we went from, we went from like dying in ditches in 1858 to having an Irish Catholic president, like within, within about a century, like we've got like the shortest, like, like you can't, we can't really complain. I don't think I was, I don't think there was an Italian Catholic president. I don't think there was like, like you couldn't be an openly French president, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, but there was a there was an Irish Catholic president. Like, made it pretty pretty quickly. And like we did, I was we've talked about this before, but I always say like the thing is the Irish have like, you know, and that's not really the stuff we complain about. We're not really like we will joke about the famine. What the Irish will complain about? Like, I have relatives where I'll be trying to remember a date. You know, I'll be trying to remember something that happened. Um, you know, I was like, oh, what year was that? Was that like, was that 93? Was that 94? Or And they'll go, I was 94 because that was the year when you came over and you ate all the biscuits. Do you remember? And I wanted a biscuit. <laughs> like, like, that's the stuff that they get mad about. Not, any, not like real Irish people. But yeah, it's like the Irish, the other thing is too, like, yes, the Irish were oppressed. And, and you know, sure, don't downplay that. But remember, the reason the Irish were so part of the reason the Irish were so fucking um uh what's the word successful in America was because we were forced to speak English because our native our native language drummed out of us so when we came here the very people who were oppressing us begrudgingly had to make us cops and politicians because the Germans wouldn't speak English and the Italians wouldn't speak English but the Irish were like I don't know my native fucking language because you beat it out of me with a club so yeah, that was really the leg up and and if you read uh, Howard Zinn's book, People's History of the United States, 
they made a lot of Irish people cops because the Irish and and the poor black people were getting along and they didn't like that, <laughs> you know, and then there was an undermining. I mean, that's kind of sadly how it goes in a country like America. And I'm sure in the UK as well, any country that gets its a massive you know wave of immigrants, the the two on the totem pole yeah. fight each other for scraps, yeah. which is sad. And, and when they start to band together, I think the higher ups are just like, mm, I don't yeah. like that. We don't want them look, banding together. You might be able to correct me on this, but I, I vaguely remember reading something about this um, when I first moved to Chicago that um, Chicago is one of the only instances in American history um, of uh, in an urban center of black flight where like the black people were living with the Irish people and the black people were like, you guys are a little, you guys are a little nuts. And then like, and actually like moved to a different neighborhood. Um, but they were just like the 1860s. Maybe, maybe I I'm wrong. That. I remember, yeah. I heard <laughs> that we're actually, the, I don't know if it would be labeled as black flight. I don't think people would use a term like that, but I read recently um, in a article, I don't know what, maybe the Tribune or something, because Chicago lost population and, it, and it's been kind of losing population a little bit over not just before the pandemic, but, you know, for a good five, six years now, uh, the population of Chicago has been going down. Illinois as a right, whole right. has been going down too. Yeah. Illinois is one of the only states that I think who have like back to back censuses have like decreased population. The number one group of people who have left Chicago over the last five to 10 years is middle class black families. Hmm have been leaving the city, um, right. which, you know, if you look at like crime and all that stuff in Chicago, for those of you who don't know, is uh, very, very sadly um, segregated. Yeah. You know, um, it's not on purpose, but it might as well be in a lot of sense of it. You know, there's no more, there's no longer legal segregation, but obviously uh, systems in place make things difficult. And I remember you had a great joke about Chicago when it almost got the Olympics that another <laughs> comedian has right now. And I keep thinking I got to tell them, but then, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know how the rule is with that because you don't do the joke anymore. Oh, so right. long ago, and the joke's different enough. But there is a comedian doing basically the same joke as yours, and I, I hear people laugh and go, "Man, God!" And I'm like, eh, he's, "It's not original, okay? It's oh, funny." I, off, off air. Tell me who it is. I will tell you off air. Um, I'll have to <laughs> text I, you though because I, I, when we wrap I'll, this up, I gotta go do a thing. Okay. I don't know if it's gonna happen though. People are. I, so I do these Irish... Cubs post game shows, and I definitely okay. think I fucked up with my timing. Well, right, cool, you know, go. no, we're hey, good. Tell me who so, it is, and in, in true Irish fashion, I won't say anything to that person. I'll just hold a grudge for thirty years. <laughs> that's good. I thought in true Irish fashion, every time they did the joke, you'll tell everyone around you. I did it first. <laughs> no, your joke was about how during there was in like twenty ten or something, if I remember. Chicago, Rio, and a few other cities were yeah. like in the finalists for the Olympics, yeah. the 2016 Olympics. Everyone's like, oh, Chicago's going to get it. And so many people were like, I don't want us to get it and all this kind of stuff. And you said, since, since Chicago is such a segregated city, instead of the Olympic rings all connecting, it'll be the first time <laughs> the Olympic rings don't connect. They'll be all <laughs> separated. Right. Um, and then you also said like Chicago's is like a, what a Swanson's TV dinner where right. every like group has their own little section. It, yeah. It comes in the same package, but nothing is touching. Oh, this corn better stay on that side of the plastic. This, you know, it was something a like that. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, yeah. It's, I, Did I no, butcher it's, it? Did I butcher your joke? <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. Um, 
it's it's i was it's telling it better <laughs> no but apparently, apparently you're uh, you know at, at least you butchered it and acknowledged it's mine but apparently there's someone out there who's who's uh butchering it incognito no, I, I i honestly don't care like you said I don't you did that joke about. though that was yours right yeah 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 but yeah no that's true man and that's the thing you know i know you, you're kind of a, a a student of this but like it is it is funny where it's like you know people will say like oh but everything's good now and it's like man you know, they had five decades of making sure that she, like, there's that really famous map, isn't there, that, like, that Daly had made up, which was all the neighborhoods in Chicago, like, with different kind of etch, like, cross-hatching and different patterns, and it was that, it wasn't even just white, black, it was, like, Ukrainians, <laughs> it was, like, bohemians and shit, like, like, you have that, you had that old joke about, like, um, about, you know, you had that joke about your dad teaching you ethnic slurs for ethnicities that don't even exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. You learn them. I've learned them all. Like there are so many there. This happened recently. I won't say what it is on air um, because my dad's, he's really not racist or a bigot at all. He's a very, pretty progressive guy. Uh, but again, he's in his late sixties now and he'll say terms where people are like, that's, that's not the term anymore. And he's like, it's not, Really? What? You know, I'm like, I didn't know, you know, he's like that guy, you know, and it's really funny actually. And, um, and the funny thing is too, I'll say this, he, he's, he had it once where he said the term Oriental and right. the O word, everyone. Oh no. But no. So he right. said, and the funny thing was, uh, my aunt is a, I have an aunt who's Asian and, um, and people are like, you know, my uncle who's, it's his wife. He was saying like, yeah, you don't say that anymore and all that. And my dad's like, well, what do you mean? What, it, what would I call someone who's from the Orient? <laughs> 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 and then they all looked at my aunt like, oh shit. And she's like, I can't argue with that logic. You know, <laughs> next you're going to be telling so, me I can't bang this gong anymore. Yeah. You know, but you know, so, but the funny thing about stuff like that is I brought that story up to some Asian people I've met and none of them have a problem with it. I remember right, talking to right. one person who was like, wait, we get upset about that. I didn't know we were supposed <laughs> to get upset about that. Well, then now I'll get upset about that. They were like laughing about it. Um, cause there are some I'm, stuff that white people get mad at for other people and other people well, are like, thing, that doesn't bother us. The thing is that people have to remember is, is that cause I remember the first time someone told me, told me that and i i'd used that term i'd read it in a book and it, was, and it was sort of it was on the cusp of that 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 term being phrased out and i'd used it to describe a person and someone was like uh and, and someone kind of did it in that sort of like slapping the word out of your hand way you know <laughs> like the kind of when they was like no we don't do that and i think i probably had that you know you have that thing where you're like, why didn't, why didn't know? And then you almost have that defensive thing where like well i heard so and so say and, and the thing is like I'm not saying that we have to treat people with, um, with you know, kid gloves. But like, if you learned that something is, you know, no longer, if you learned something that's faux pas, like two weeks ago, don't act like you knew it your whole life when you when you're correcting someone else. You know what I mean? I think that's where people get in trouble, and that's where people double down. Where it's like, no, well, I didn't know, and I'm comfortable saying that word. It's if you just if you there's a way of doing it where you just go. By the way, just so you know, just so like you don't get caught out, just a heads up. I think I think they're phasing that term out. You know what I mean? But I think that's. I agree. 
there is so much that like just our communication sucks. And I understand that there right. are some people where you're like, I'm not going to fucking hold your hand through this. You're an idiot. You're an asshole. I'm not. Dealing <laughs> with I understand some of that, but there are some times where you just see honest mistakes and people just go right for the right. jugular. Right. And, and Twitter is just such a shit show with this stuff because there's just no reward in being ultra, a lot ultra logical. Like if you're someone who's just like, well, I don't know. Let me take the information as it comes in and then I'll give you an opinion. <laughs> Fine. But everyone right away is like, I need to give my opinion on this. I need to tell you why something's terrible. And I need to tell you why it was always terrible and why you're right. terrible. If you like this and why you're this and that, you know, I, Joe Rogan's taken some fire as he rightfully should. Joe Rogan said a stupid ass thing the other day where he said, if you're 21 and healthy, you don't need the vaccine. Th that's a stupid, right. stupid thing to say. And what you're, and you're being selfish too. What, what people don't understand is that you're not just taking the vaccine for yourself. You're taking it for those around you because you could be asymptomatic yeah. and give it to someone who does. And everyone's like, well, if they're high risk. They should stay inside. And it's like, what if they didn't also, know they were I, high I, risk? I would like to say if you're 21 and healthy, um, you're wasting your twenties. Don't be healthy. <laughs> Do all the drugs, all the alcohol because your body can take it to be unhealthy. I agree. Like, eat, eat shitty food and, and, and treat your body like trash because it'll take it about 10 years to catch up. So, uh, but yeah, but that's here's the thing, too. The no, I agree. About if I could add, if you're in your 20s, if I could add and, and hold your thought, <laughs> if you're in your 20s and you're not a professional athlete, but you have a six pack, you're boring. You are a boring person <laughs> right. and you're right. wasting the best years of your life. Right. You should, right. you should be waking up in a stupor. You should be, out of, you know what I mean? Like, come on, right. you, you're 28 right. and you have abs. You're fuck you. you know yeah. what I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're waking up in your own bed, like on the reg, you know yeah. what I mean? I don't even mean in a sexual way. I just mean like, you should not always be making it home. You know what I mean? Like when you're 30, you look in the mirror and you go, Oh, ugh. Oh okay. shit. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have a jawline. Let's make some, let's make some changes. And then there you go. But I was saying yeah. with like Rogan's thing. And I know you've had a good point. I, I, a friend of mine texted me about it being like, are you mad? You, you said you liked him. I go, first of all, I told you, I've never listened to a full episode of his podcast. I've caught clips of his podcast and I have a ton of respect for what that guy has built. Cause that's not an easy thing to build. It's just not, he put yeah. in a lot of work and I've got respect for him because as a standup, everyone I know says nobody takes care of his openers like Joe Rogan does. Right. And you'd think that'd be a given for such a rich guy, but Adam, dude, we know enough rich headliners oh, totally. who do totally. not take care of their fucking openers right. anywhere near what they should. So, yeah. and yeah, we, I, realize, caught, we realize why they're rich. Yeah, exactly. They're fucking pocketing <laughs> everything. And I've caught enough of Rogan's podcast where I've found myself agreeing with him on a bunch of stuff. And I definitely, and I definitely do disagree with him on a lot of stuff. I've never met the guy. I would gladly be on his podcast. I actually didn't meet him once. I shook hands with him at the Ha Ha Club in North Hollywood. He was popping in to do like a, a spot unannounced because he was working on some stuff before his special. And I was there trying to get stage time because I just moved to town. A friend introduced me going, oh, Joe, this is my buddy Joe Kill. And he was nice. He's like, hey, how you doing, man? Welcome to town. I'm like, I appreciate it. And I remember thinking, man, I'm way taller than you. But you're fucking <laughs> like a he's like built like a fucking brick yeah, shit house. Yeah. But anyway, probably, nice dude. I've heard nothing but nice things about him. What's Sorry, that? I'm just saying, in terms of volume, you and Joe Rogan are probably the same. Only he keeps it sideways, and you keep it long ways. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's as wide as I am, tall and lanky. Yeah. I guess. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, 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 it's cool, man. I'm sorry to hear you. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. By the way, Joe Rogan does not need me to stick up for him at all, as I've kind of done these last few minutes. I'm just saying that you could hate someone's opinion, but not have to do this whole big thing where it's like, and everyone who thinks they're good is trash too. And everyone's right, this. Right. just attack the opinion. It doesn't have to be like your yeah. attempt to go after this encyclopedia. And I know the man has a massive, massive platform and he should be responsible with that platform and, and be uncle Ben about it. Um, not uncle well, Ben, well, the I, rice, I, uncle Ben, Spider-Man, <laughs> um, you know, great power, great responsibility. That was the, the line I was going great for. Rice. Great power, great responsibility, great rice. That's the trifecta. <laughs> well, can I say two things real quick? By the way, I paused is, for you to talk as you were taking a bite of something. <laughs> that's, fucking, that's good radio, folks. <laughs> You're still chewing. My um, fault. All right. So anyway, everybody, this is a good time to remind you about the Patreon. I didn't know. I didn't know when you were going to finish. So <laughs> yeah, I thought I had a pretty good end note there, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all I was going to say is, first of all, Joe Rogan. You don't get a hundred million dollar deal from Spotify by saying things that everyone agrees with. Like there's difference, right? There's like, he is, and I'm sort of going to lump him in with Tucker Carlson, though I know they're completely different things, but these two are two guys that have a brand that is saying controversial things. That's, that's what they do. They, they pack their suitcases every morning with controversial opinions and they go and they do it because honestly, no one would listen to people who fucking like it. People do like it. Now, Again, I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm saying there's two different things, but that's what they're supposed to do. So, like, if Joe Rogan is supposed to say stuff that makes you go, whoa, 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 because honestly, that's what gets people listening. Because, and that's also what starts the conversation. We're talking about him right now. Tucker Carlson has taken that idea and now being really, really reckless with it. But anyway, that's another thing. So, there's that kind of it. There's that sort of like deliberate, you know, um, branded wrongheadedness, which is you're allowed to do because we live that. But there's the other thing, which is like, and now some people take that on a much lower level and just in their daily lives are assholes. They're like, I'm going to use the words that I want to use and I don't give a shit. But then there's the third kind, which is what we're talking about is where you maybe haven't caught up with the culture yet. Or you haven't caught up with where people think you need to be. Yeah. And someone who has only recently caught up because people don't realize how much of our interactions are governed by embarrassment. And we lie about how we all act as if we're not afraid of being embarrassed. But we fucking are. And I think what happens a lot of times, someone uses a passe term, gets slapped down. They, that resentment sits like in the, in the middle of their chest. And they're just waiting to pass on that slap down to the first person who fucks it up, who says the wrong thing who doesn't know all the pronouns, and then they go, ha, I fucking got you. And then it just like passes on and passes on and passes on. Whereas what we should be doing is going like, that sucked. I felt like an idiot for not knowing that. So maybe I take a moment and like may not, may, let, not let the next person feel like an idiot. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, I don't know. I, I would love to preach that. I think that you were right. That was really the people we were kind of going after that third camp there. Right, um, right. But I, but I also just can't stand when I see people on it's especially Twitter because there's such a yeah. rush to be right. Right. You know, I remember right. one time someone's like, I saw so-and-so was trending and I thought, damn it. Do I not have to like this person now? And I'm like, you don't even know what it's about yet. You don't even know why they're <laughs> trending. And you're immediately right. thinking right. I got to get rid of my like for them or what horrible thing did they do? Or I was scared when I saw this and. And I, I get being scared because you thought they might have been dead, but I just, 
I don't know. I just really wish there was not this need to be first. I mm-hmm. want to be first to tweet about something. I want to be, you know, right all the time. I want this quick rush to things. Just take the information as it is, and you don't have to immediately cry. Tim Dillon, who's a, a guy I, an acquaintance really. I, I've done. I met him way back when, like when we were both at the same level in comedy <laughs> before he became a guy who prints money. And, um, <laughs> and he said something recently that a lot of people got really, really mad about, and maybe they had the right to be mad about it. Um, I thought the last line of it was clearly a joke. He had this tweet about how the, one of the latest shootings that was on video, he goes, this one might not be the one that you guys go crazy about because maybe the cop had just cause to shoot. And we could argue, talk about the shooting another time, whether or not he did. I, I, I wish they'd shoot for the leg a little bit more. And then you hear people go, well, they're not trained to do that. They're trained to shoot for the kill. And in my brain, I'm like, if you're trained to shoot for a kill, aren't you also just trained to be a good shot? You know what I mean? <laughs> like Steph Curry is the best three point shooter in the NBA. If I said to Steph, Hey, on your next shot, hit this part of the backboard. Don't try to make it in. He won't go. Um, I I can only make it in. I, I can't. I can't hit that thing. No, he would be like, no problem, and he'd fucking nail it. But you'd mean to tell me? I t- so I said I didn't want to talk about, it, but I'm going to. But you mean to tell me a cop can't shoot someone in the leg? They can't go. Nah, sorry, man. I was, oh. <laughs> I was trained to hit him right here. If you tell me to oh. shoot him in the leg, I I just can't I see, do I that. You're arguing the opposite. I see what you're saying. Okay. No, yeah, no, yeah. I'm arguing yeah. how stupid that fucking notion is. I just I hear that. Right. I hear they go. They're not trained to shoot in the leg. They don't know how to shoot. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. I thought you're just training someone to aim. Be good at aiming. If you're good at yeah. aiming, you could hit anything you want. That's almost like saying they can't miss, won't miss. They've 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 tried missing. They just can't. They're just too good. Like I get it, but like that. Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that case. I, I when I first read him tweet Tim Tim Dillon tweet that, I read the part where he's like, "Hey, for the abolish the police crowd. This one isn't it." Meaning which I get what he's saying. Cause there was, there was a few cop shootings leading up to that. And, and cases of police brutality where you're like, Jesus Christ, how the fuck, how is this still happening? How are police still treating people like yeah. this? And, and again, like, you know, I don't like, I never use the word all anything. I yeah. think if you're listening and you're like, don't like hearing bad things about cops, you should fucking hate these cops the most. Right. You should hate them. I've got a couple friends who are cops. I got a lot of friends who are cops who I'm like, eh, you shouldn't be a fucking cop. <laughs> and then I got a couple who I'm like, these are really good dudes who yeah, are good right. people who are in and service their whole lives. Yeah. And I know I've talked to them and they go, we hate it when this shit happens because yeah. it makes our job harder and it makes us look bad. So I get that. But this story for everyone who doesn't know is in Columbus, Ohio. It's just a tragedy all around. Right. Apparently this girl was getting like bullied and these people were threatening to like fight her and, and be violent towards her. So she called the cops for help. Right. And during, during the, but before the cops got there, there was a, a melee, you know, they're fighting and the girl picked up a knife that the other girl had had and she went to defend herself with the knife, you know, heat of the moment, all that stuff. It's right. one of those things where if the cop didn't show up and they showed up after and they were like, right. you stabbed her, she right. probably gets off with self-defense, right. you know, right. but the cop showed up and when the cop got out of the car, he sees a girl about to stab someone he shoots the person, which right. doesn't seem that bad. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not good. Don't get me wrong. It right. could be a bigger argument for like, maybe the cops shouldn't have came. Maybe they needed not. Uh, I get all that. But anyway, the point of Tim Dillon's tweet was that he said, that's not the thing to fight for. And then he made a joke going like, and when someone, and it was a fat kid. And when you're fat, it makes you older. 
that was his way of being like, I'm a comedian. If I'm making a serious right. point, I also right. have to say something funny. And right, that's when right. people were just like, oh, Tim Dillon thinks fat kids deserve to die. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, no, he didn't. That's right. not what he meant. But if you're mad because you just think the joke or the, the point of the tweet was in poor taste, be mad about that. Right. And I get that. People have all the right to be mad about that. Then people take it to, I never thought he was funny. I think he's this. I think he's that. And I'm like, or I've seen people say, oh, Tim Dillon's just constantly trying to get attention. He's jealous that he's not a famous comedian. I'm like, this dude's Patreon makes 120 grand a month. You know that, bro? <laughs> right, right. He, no, the I dude I prints money. Yeah, he yeah. prints money. He's yeah. a fuck. He sold a sweatshirt that I'm curious. I only know this because a friend of ours is in like the design t-shirts and selling them business right now. And he was curious what Tim Dillon's sales were. And he clicked on the link where you could see how many were sold. And he did the math. And it's like, oh, cool. That guy released a sweatshirt. And 48 hours later, he sold over $85,000 worth of sweatshirts. <laughs> That's something. I mean, he's going to be at the improv in Schaumburg, just outside of Chicago. He's doing a Tuesday through Sunday, two shows a night, and it's already sold out. Nobody yeah. does a Tuesday through Sunday at that club. Yeah. That's insane. Like, the, anyway, so my point is that hate the tweet, right. but don't then make it this whole, this person, everything they've done is terrible. They're not funny at all. Anyone who likes them, anyone who's followed them on Twitter, anyone, it doesn't have to be this big fucking, I don't know. I may, Maybe also, this is my old man in me coming out. No, but it's, no, I agree with you 100%. I think we talked about this before, but it's also the, the, the self-defeating thing about that is that for every time you go this guy should be canceled because of this tweet you are gaining that person a fan yeah. because there is a fan base out there who like and i was i had this sort of thing I, I you know i would generally kind of ascribe it to sort of younger people will have this sort of iconoclastic like you know you know fuck what the mainstream dislikes you know rather like whatever the mainstream dislikes that's what i that's what I like. What's what's really weird now in this country is that each side thinks the other is the mainstream. Yeah. You like 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 people think, oh, Tim Dillon's towing the line, and other and other people think, you know, and Tim Dillon thinks that the other people are like canceling him and that they're the mainstream. Like it's like everyone's all, all fucked. But the other thing is too, like the whole you know this whole notion of picking one of these incidents and going, this is not it. Like that's not the point. The point isn't like one of these things is the thing. The point is it's we can look at graphs. We can look at graphs and we can look at instances and look where certain people are affected by a thing that happens and go, man, those people are really affected by that a lot more. And you know what I mean? And it's not like we're not taking one data point. And again, it's sort of like like you're saying, it's like people know how fucking maths work they know how science works and, and so they know they know what we mean we, we they know about the notion of like an overarching problem but it, it's that thing too where people are going that ah, but today you're wrong for these five minutes yeah your yeah, argument no, I, doesn't I, apply. I see it all the time um they're the the people uh, you know i i Thank God, I've, I rarely go on Facebook anymore, but I remember seeing it. What's that? Good for you. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> some video, I think it was a Chicago police shooting. The video was released and people were like, look, though, look right here in the video. You can see this and all that. And I remember thinking to myself, like the, the people who are like big time being like, no, 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 no. The cop was doing his job. 
why were you guys silent during the last four videos that have gone viral that mm-hmm. the cops clearly weren't doing their job? Mm-hmm. You were you were fucking mums the word on that. Right. That, see, I think that's my big thing is just I'm always looking for consistency. And one of these days, Adam, I'm going to realize I need to stop doing that because it doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't. You know what I mean? Everyone's got their side and it's the same bullshit. People on the left do it, too. They ignore things and then they go, but see, but see, you know, like everyone does mm-hmm. their they find their piece of evidence and they shove it in each other's faces and go like that. I, I just think to myself, like, I, I just want some sort of balance. Pick a lane. You know what I mean? If yeah. your whole thing is how come no one gives the cops a pat on the back when they then they do a good thing okay but why don't you attack them when they do bad then you're one of those people yeah. who you shut the fuck up when they're bad and then you know, i don't know this is look being a cop is a job that most people think they have too much responsibility so the defund the police movement was about we reallocate funds and that's how stupid our side is a lot of times adam and you know i, I think mm-hmm. we're both very much aligned politically in a lot of ways i consider myself a left of center person um is but our side's so stupid when it comes to conveying a message just the worst mm-hmm. the republican party if it was their idea would have called it the patriot Real- reallocation act <laughs> right. and everybody would have supported it yeah. but right. instead we call defund the police which people are like you want to make the police not be able to do their job or we <laughs> take away their vests and their yeah. badges like what does defund mean you want less police hey, do you live in chicago it's pretty dangerous there's carjackings like it's just a stupid so well, thank you, I, Adam. But uh, no, no, no. It's it's so funny. I never thought about that. Where the Republicans could get the exact same results, but they would just go, "Hey, we need to protect our police by taking them out of these dangerous neighborhoods." Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like giving them less responsibility, uh, and by uh, by mitigating resources, which would just be the same exact same thing. They would have a thing <laughs> saying, "Back the blue, hire more social workers." You know what I mean? <laughs> Right, and then, right. and then, some people be like, "Oh, so a social worker is going to stop domestic violence in action?" And it's like, no. If there's violence in action, that's when we'd call the police. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we don't need you uh, telling um, someone they can't stay at their grandma's house and then kicking the grandma's door in and then you know shooting the family dog. Like you yeah. know, like that's just. It's also insane that writing someone a parking ticket and hostage negotiation can be your job in one day. Yeah, <laughs> like, like like that's idiotic. Like, like this, the job needs to be like completely changed and special. And it, and it is like, it's, you know, people on movie sets will complain about hurry up and wait. Like, you know, you don't do anything all day. And then all of a sudden you have to do a scene with Tom Cruise. Well, that's what being a fucking cop is. It's like, like you're, like you're sitting in your ass and you fucking tell someone to not let their dog shit on the lawn. And then all, all of a sudden you're in a fucking war movie. And it's like, it's insane that we are expecting, you know, we've had, uh, you know, 100, let's say 150 years of um, metrolo- uh, metropolitan police forces in the world. And, and the notion that, the notion that it hasn't evolved is crazy. Like, you the they can't they can't be the neighborhood cop in the way that they were you know what i mean and also yeah it's a it's a whole thing that needs to be reformed in in a lot of ways and in ways that's going to help them that would help them so much that i I really feel like you know so many cops just feel like oh we're being attacked we're the bad guy we're the bad guy and i go well some of you are the bad guy and and maybe you when you came in to play you had some racist dickhead who took you under their wing and you didn't even realize that they were a racist yeah. dickhead. You just thought they were a nice guy because they were nice to you. 
but right. you were ignorant to the fact of what they were teaching you. And we right. just, you know, and some people will say, oh, well, more unarmed white people get killed than unarmed black people. And I go, that's still bad. That's a bad thing too. What do you, <laughs> you know, but also there's something called percentages and, and exactly. you know, statistical stuff and all that. And, you know, and, and black neighbors get policed more. So there's more interactions. And if, you know, if you're getting hounded all the time and someone's following you wherever you go and all, you know, this is a whole other podcast it's that also, maybe it's also, people it's with also our complexion more... shouldn't be having one-on-one, but um... <laughs> yeah, but more, more white people like get their hand caught in a the door. There's just more of us. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People, yeah. Well, people, by the way, people on both sides don't realize that though. The number <laughs> right. of times I've, I've talked to like, you know, super hippie white people where I'm like, wait a minute, you understand there's only, only 13% of the population is black, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> They'll be like, still, I've, I've heard people be like, I was at a hotel in Utah watching the <laughs> local news, all white people. They didn't have any people of color in any on the news desk yeah. at all. And it's yeah. like, yeah, you were in Utah. It's 99.8% white. Do you want them to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You're, like there's some shit that you just can't find. Like there's statistical things that yeah. sometimes people just don't understand where yeah. I've heard people go, you mean to tell me they don't have enough? And it's like, well, you can't just, should we find Latino <laughs> Latin families and say, Hey, you need to procreate more and, and raise them into going to this field. I don't know. I can understand yeah. that the argument needs to be, we need more opportunity at lower at like the high school level and these levels so that hopefully people who are underrepresented in these fields go more into that. Yeah. I used to think nepotism was this big, huge thing. And at the same time, I realized nepotism is probably overrated in how much of a problem people perceive it to be. Right. I learned, I figured this out at the same time I had friends tell me how important representation is and representation is 1 million percent, super important. It's great. I was such a fan of the captain of captain America and the winter soldier fucking yeah. love that show. Love the That's way it good. ended and all that. I know you were following mm-hmm. along from the one um, thread I saw on Facebook. <laughs> I thought I that was that wonderfully show. done. Um, were you a fan? I loved it. I thought it was loved brilliant. It, right? I couldn't believe it was only it's when it finished. I was like, I can't believe that was only six episodes because I felt like they covered so much, and also had like it was entertaining. They had action and all that superhero stuff you want, but also like told like a very involved kind of story. They did for six episodes because I know there were some fans who were like, ah, I felt a little rushed. If the pandemic, I heard, hurt the shooting, and also I don't know if you knew this, but the flag smashers where there was supposed to be a pandemic in the series. Oh, wow. Not off of COVID. It was written right, before right. COVID happened. Right, it was just the right. thing they had written into this fake universe, yeah. obviously, everyone. Yeah. And then they were like, well, shit, that kind of is bad. And then they had to halt production because of the pandemic. And they then they had already- to kind of rewrite around that. I guess in the first episode, when the Winter Soldier gets on that truck and you first meet Carly, he like says to Sam... Um, they have vaccines like on the thing oh, and then right. they kind of shifted stuff around to, oh, and, wow. and these, these people who were like misplaced during the blip, um, everyone check out, I hope I'm not, I don't want to give away too much, but basically and at the end of end game, if you haven't seen that spoiler alert, uh, it was two years ago and it was the biggest movie of all time. You should have seen it by now because <laughs> it's really great. But, um, these people vanish for five years and then they come back. And then it's kind of like this whole displaced thing. What do you do with these people? Everyone's back now. The world existed around them in five years. And so they're just trying to carve out their piece of the world. So you sympathize with them big time. Anyway, the show was just wildly well done. Yeah. And and you see how big representation is, right? It's It kind of highlights that. 
So when I heard about, when I see tweets about Hollywood nepotism that I've been seeing a little bit lately, I think to myself, well, when I grew up in a part of Chicago that was very blue collar. So a lot of people I grew up with went into blue collar jobs. Now, mm-hmm. if your dad is a plumber and you tell them, hey, dad, I want to be a Hollywood actor when I get older, he's going to be like, <laughs> sure you are, Bobby. All right, take out the trash. <laughs> fucking kid. Right. Huh? Think she's going to be a, you, you be Tom Cruise over here? Hey, it's Bobby Hollywood over. That's, <laughs> that's, that, that's the reality of it. Yeah. That really is. But, but if you grow up in Los Angeles and mommy and daddy are actors and actresses, that is now a liable. That's the thing that you could go into. That world right. doesn't seem so impossible where it right. seems impossible to other people. So when I hear about Hollywood nepotism, I'm not saying there are some people, there, there's some of it is, yeah, that's definitely nepotism that get, opens doors and all that shit. But I also see it as, no, that's a world that they were confident enough to go into. Right. And that's why they succeeded there. It's, I, I think your, your environment is, has a more, has a bigger effect on you and where you're going to go into and what you see as possible. That's why representation is important. You see more female senators when you're a 12 year old girl, you go, Oh, I could be a senator where it's even 20 years ago. You had like three female senators and little girls were like, well, clearly that's not a thing for me. You know, um, there was some flat, someone said, I don't know. I caught this quote on something not that long ago where it's like, as long as there's someone who looks like you, who's done it, you too could do it. Right. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause it's realistic too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I sorry. I I'm, spit out a lot of shit just then. No, that's and I'm right. keeping you way long, dude. I'm sorry. I want to do like an hour with you, Adam. That's the thing. Oh, when I talk sure, with yeah. you, I feels like 10 minutes and it's an hour 20. Is your, <laughs> is your, is your girlfriend going to kill you? I mean, she's, she's going to kill me anyway, but, um, not because of this. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. I'm just kidding. Well, anyway, sorry. I was rambling so much there. I don't know if you no, want to add right. anything to that. No, I will say I will say if you haven't seen it, um, uh, Captain uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's also great. I will say this, man, and I'm, and I'm sorry if this ends up being a bit. It is it is fucking hilarious to me anytime any you know that I don't. I'm on like a lot of sort of nerd groups on Facebook, and some of the vitriol, you know, people getting mad like. That Justice League wasn't the Justice League that I wanted. I want you gotta go back and recut and make the fucking Justice League that I wanted. It's like, do you know? I grew up in the eighties. We had six superhero movies, and they were mostly shite. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are so fucking spoiled. You have every kind of superhero movie. You have PG superhero shows. You've got hard R superhero shows. You get animated shows. You've got every thing you want like if you can't find the superhero show that you that you want you don't like superheroes <laughs> you know what i mean yeah no i, I agree think, yeah. i agree dude there's a whole world and i've gotten so into marvel there's a whole world of commentary on all this stuff and people are super into in the fandom fandom this is the best time in human history to be a fan of anything because like you could be a fan of something super obscure you're gonna find your market you're gonna find people who share that interest with you but there are some people where I'm like, are you, there are TikTok accounts I'll follow or I come across and I'm like, do you even like Marvel? Cause every <laughs> TikTok is you shitting on what you didn't like right. about Marvel's latest thing and why it sucked. I'm like, are you a Marvel fan? I know you're standing in front, you're in front of a backdrop of a bunch of Funko Marble toys or whatever the fuck it is behind right. you. Do you even like this though? Cause everything is how much it sucks and how it could be better. Um, I, I, I do feel bad for DC fans because their movies just haven't been at the same level. <laughs> as marvel right. i mean marvel had a few duds early on 
but their batting average is incredible for any studio, let alone. Yeah. But I think they're smart enough. They stay true enough to the source material, but then they change stuff, I think, for the better even. I know comic yeah. fans who are diehard. Like, they're all about what happened in the comics, and they're even like, this is better, though. They did it better, and it's a movie, so they understand that you're. it's complex, and they can't. You know, like the Civil War comic books was like a fucking long ass yeah. thing, yeah. and the, and they had to change some of it to make it make sense. And a lot of people I know were like, "Great movie, they did a great job with it." So I can't I complain. Think, I think there's people who probably know more about this than, than I do, but I think the the big piece of the puzzle was this guy uh, Kevin Feige, who's, who's yeah. or Feige, however you pronounce it, and and he's produced most of them. And I think his thing was. You know, he'd been producing, he, you'll see his name way back in like unsuccessful Marvel product. But his thing was, he was such a fan that he knew everything, right? He knew, like what you're talking about, Civil War, he knew Secret Wars, he knew all the Claremont, Claremont X-Men, he knew all the Jack Kirby stuff. He knew it all, right? So the thing is about these films is it's edited, right? It's like, how do we pick the best elements from everything and get like this super slick, version of captain america the super slick version of iron man and condense it and i think that's what he's really good at and it's funny because i was watching like justice league with uh with my girlfriend and she was watching and she we started to feel bad for dc because like they feel like there's so many things in the dc movies my girlfriend was like isn't that like didn't something pretty similar happen in the marvel movies and it's like you got to understand the writers you know kirby and I think Claremont, but like John Byrne, they would go back and forth between studios. And there's only so much like, these are all myth stories, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, so it's all like, you know, they're really ripping each other off all this. And the, you know, there's a lot of Marvel stuff that rips off. I mean, Iron Man is Batman, is a tin Batman, right? I, I mean. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they did tweak it because Batman came out first, but yeah, billionaire and you know, the idea of like not having a power but his power is he's really rich and right. and i think marvel was a little bit sm marvel did a good job of being socially conscious of things right. you know totally. i mean the creators of x-men even said like magneto is malcolm x and right. uh xavier is martin luther king and they were very much like we're gonna do this and we're gonna have black superheroes and we're gonna have you know um there's a comedian that, or more of a comedy writer, but he was in Chicago for a stretch. Very nice dude, funny guy too. Daniel Kibblesmith. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he was around in those early days of when Chicago was pretty alt. And he is he wrote a Loki comic book series yeah. where Loki's gay. Um, right. So like, yeah, know, they just, okay. yeah, Marvel takes these big risks with things like that. And again, I'm very ignorant about a lot of deep comic book stuff. So if you're listening and you're a diehard comic book fan, <laughs> I'm way off base and I know it. And if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. I've just, I'm new to a lot of this. I, I wasn't, I didn't see Endgame in the theaters because I wasn't right. following along. The pandemic hit, I had Disney plus and I'm like, oh, cool. I got time to catch up now. And the whole time I was like, are you fucking, why wasn't I seeing this <laughs> shit in the theaters? When I watched like those end game reaction videos where someone like snuck a video camera in yeah. to see the crowd going insane. I'm yeah. like, oh my, I have friends who were at those things and they were like, dude, it was like being at a game seven or like a super bowl. It was the <laughs> fucking best. Everyone got goosebumps. And that's where Marvel's pretty smart. And where Kevin Feige's smart. They tease you enough and they keep the mystery there, but then they give the fans that thing they want. Yeah, you know, totally. another spoiler alert when cat, they know everyone wanted to see that hammer get lifted and right. the fact that they teased it, can captain lift it? He, oh, it looked like it moved slightly maybe. <laughs> and then when he got it, everyone's like, fuck yes. 
you know, Wanda going after Thanos and all like just right. they do such a killer job of doing that stuff um, that uh, you just you, you fucking love it. It pumps you up. Like that, uh, as with, a, what's up? I was just going to say that reaction video you're talking about, that famous reaction people reacting to Cap lifting the hammer. Whenever there is a video like that TikTok video of someone in front of all the Funko thing complaining like, well, the cape, the cape was the wrong color. And, you know, I always just want to play that reaction video <laughs> over yeah. that and be like, "That's this is for these people. It's not yes. for you. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're doing it right. They're having a great time. You're fucking it up. <laughs> like, well, what more do you want? Again, yeah, and that's mean, that's mean, the point. The point is to get people excited. They people know they're going to be entertained, and it's not right. going to be gone with the wind. And but that's like <laughs> the great thing. That's right. such a great thing, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's. I like that there's something for everyone. You know, mm -hmm. I remember talking to some friends who are pretty big music snobs, and they're like, "That genre shouldn't exist." And I'm like, "Why? There are people who like it." Just don't listen to it. Why does it bother yeah. you what other people yeah. listen to? Yeah. You know, it's not it's not for you. Some shit yeah. is for 13-year-old girls and they should be right. allowed to enjoy their fucking pop music, man. It's not right. If every music was one genre, music would suck. It'd be boring and you'd find a new thing to hate. That's what it would the come down to. Yeah, the Beatles were a, were a boy band. Yeah. And they became, they became this other thing. You've got to you've got to That's allow that's people. what and I think that's what made the Beatles recognized by everyone as one of the greatest bands ever because the way they evolved right. and the way they yeah exactly you're right they came they were they were the biggest boy band they were that that was their thing women were fainting and passing out <laughs> they were singing songs i want to hold your hand and then they went off to write some of the more complex like thought-provoking music right. that you'd ever hear you know um but you know that's they're such a rarity but you, i know what you're saying though like that's the same people who I've, I know people who hate the Beatles and then they list their favorite bands. And I go, everyone you just listed would have the Beatles as their favorite band. Right. Everyone. Right, right, I mean, totally. I've heard fucking speed metal bands credit the Beatles right. where they're like, oh man, the first time I heard fucking, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say health. Yeah. Helter Skelter. I was Hel like, yeah. this, yeah. this is what I, this is, this is music. Holy fuck. Who, and who's, who plays this? This is the Beatles too. You know what I mean? Like, that's, listen to the White Album and listen to the Help soundtrack and you're not a hard day's night and you're like, what? <laughs> this is the same group? Well, that's what I love about art. I love what, the way the artistic process, the creative people works, is some people's missed attempt at being something else. Like Ozzy Osbourne wanted to be John Lennon. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was aiming for John Lennon and he missed and he made Black Sabbath. Like that's what's great is not the people who like – it's not, and that's when you, that's when the idiots who go, well, that genre shouldn't exist. It's like, they probably weren't even trying to be what they are. They were probably trying to do, but they knew that they, you can't just copy David Bowie. So you just got to move it over a little bit. And then that's when you like make new stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's ridic ridiculous. I will, I, I will say, can I say one last thing about um, Marvel and then, then I got to get out of here. Yeah, definitely, man. I feel so bad because I have a new segment I'm doing that I wanted to hold you for, but if you oh, don't have can, 10 more minutes, it forget short? it. I apologize. What's up? If it's, if it, is it short? How long is it? Can we knock it out? No, it's five. It's called a new segment called Five Good Ones in which I ask you five questions. All right. Well, short. Uh, okay. Um, no, do your thing about Marvel. We'll end it. And then maybe in a day or two when you got an hour or not an hour, yeah. if you got like 20 minutes, we could do 20 minutes. 
That'd be awesome. Yeah, if you want to do that for the Patreon. Yeah, I'll do that because I, I understand, dude. I honestly lost track of time. That's um, okay. You know what it was? I checked on my phone because I told you I was, I was going to have to do this other that Cubs thing. You know, everyone, mm-hmm. if you're a baseball fan, I do a lot of uh, baseball stuff. So check out that too. And I, I got a message going, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, we're not going to do this this other podcast called Cubs on Tap. I'm a contributor on. They go, hey, we're not going to do it. So don't worry about it. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, cool. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to rush. Is where my brain went to. <laughs> and then I held you for another half an hour longer than I was supposed to. But yeah, dude, you get the last words, Adam. Uh, I remember when the X-Men movies first started coming out and it was like in the early days of the internet just when all the assholes decided like that their opinions you know were, were were the real opinions and i remember like ian mckellen was like one of the first actors he had a blog and i remember like in 2000 you know and people would were seeing the trailer and people were starting to comment online were like this is going to suck uh magneto's costume isn't right and all the rest of it and i remember ian mckellen took the time to post this blog where he showed, he took pictures from the comic books and he was like, well, in this, in this frame, it kind of looks purple, but in this one, it kind of looks gray green. And he's like, what color should, do you think we should make it? We are, we're just trying to make the best movie we can, we can, and we're just m- making our best shot of it. And it's like, now it's like those movies, that era of Ian McKellen X-Men movies are beloved. And they're considered to be the best ones. And again, like these people who pre-edit things and are like, oh, you're going to fuck it up. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about because you're not making anything. You know what I mean? It's no, like, I do, you're yeah, just, like when you when you make stuff, the onus of getting it done at some point overrides all of the other condition, all, all the other considerations where you're not worrying. You can't spend two years getting Magneto's cape right because at some point you have to make the fucking movie. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like I think that's like a lot of stuff that's, that happens in this is is that like, man, the solution to a lot of this stuff is if you don't like the way things are being made, go make stuff. Just go and make your own stuff. And I then agree, man. I encourage more people to get into that world. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also like, is there, I don't know. I'm going off a different thing here because I just think to myself, so many people are so quick to shit on things that like, I made one tweet about the Oscars that I later kind of was like, Oh, that was dumb. I turned the Oscars on for a, for like two minutes. Look, I didn't see any of the movies. It feels weird. They even did it. Nobody was in theaters last year. I don't even know why they had a fucking Oscars this year. Um, I get it. You want to recognize some people, but still, it just felt weird. I turned it on and it looked weird. And I said, this looks like a Midwest sales regional banquet. It just looked strange. <laughs> but I also didn't keep tweeting about anything else because I didn't watch any movies and it's just not my thing. But there are people out there who are just like, hey, I don't watch SNL, but let me tell you why it sucks. And right, it's like, right, right, right. just shut the fuck up then. You don't watch it. You don't like it. Why are you throwing all this negativity also, out there? Also, why couldn't the Oscars be in August? Yeah, I don't. I know. <laughs> Well, they barely backed it up from February to April. Why not just keep backing it up? Or, you know, would it be a crime if you were like, "Hey, we're gonna rec- we're gonna have Oscars back to back weekends. This is for the 2020 awards we need to hand out, and then next week it's 2021." By now, you've seen the movies. I don't fucking who knows. Also, also, hey, this year you're all winners. You're all yeah. winners of my book. You all. <laughs> we all survived. Good job, everyone. We we handled 2020. All right, everyone. You got to follow Adam Burke on all the social media platforms. He's great on Twitter. What's your Twitter again, though? ATP Burke. That's my that's my 
my three names, the third of which is my um, confirmation name. So Adam Thomas Pius Burke. So ATP Burke on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. You got to follow him. He's a great dude. Uh, everyone, Thank thanks you, for Joe. listening to the podcast. This has been the Joe Kilgallen Podcast, a.k.a. Kilgallen's Pub. You guys are the best. Cheers.